Are you waiting for everything to be perfect before you decide to enjoy life? Stop waiting. Start living. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes with Scott and Becky McIntosh, where you will hear inspiring stories from imperfect people living life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love, despite challenging circumstances to bring hope to your heart and a smile to your face in only 22 minutes. Now, let's welcome the host of the show, Scott and Becky McIntosh. Welcome, everyone, to Life in 22 Minutes, and sometimes a little bit longer. In fact, this one is a little bit longer. Well, double the fun, double the pleasure. You're going to really like this one. And sitting next to me is my co-host, Scott. Hello. Last week, I was missing in action, and he was uh, the lone interviewer. (laughs) Today, we're back together, and we're really excited to introduce you to our speaker today. It's Donnie Salazar. He is our special guest, so let me tell you a little bit about him. He has a lot of personal experience in overcoming the trials that many people struggle with today. From the day that he was born, his life has been one of abuse in many forms, emotional, physical, drugs, alcohol, and sexual abuse. His family became deeply involved in in gangs, so much so that his home was a gang party slash meeting house. And in hearing some of your stories, I am just so amazed and so impressed of how you have risen above, and mostly because now you want to speak about it, you want to give back, and you want to help others. Absolutely. I think one of the, one of the main things is helping people understand that they can get through anything and helping them see that it's okay to go through trials. It's okay to, to, to be looked at differently, but you can get through it. And that's one of the things that I learned as growing up is how I got through it and the people that were involved in my life. And, you know, the power of influences in my life were, were so real. And I, I, I kind of, it was like, I was a sponge to good people. And because I needed that in my life. And so there was there was a lot going on um, just from just from day one that my first memory is is of my dad beating my mom on the kitchen floor. And what a scary thing it was for me. I remember jumping on my dad's back and saying, stop hitting my mommy. And he throws me off of him and my brother steps in. And, and so it was from that, and I was four years old at the time. And from that point on, my mom, my mom decided to move my older brother, my older sister, and myself to California. And things got where was there. where was this at the before? Um, so I was born in Salt Lake City, Utah, and okay. this was actually in Rose Park. In we Rose Park. yeah, okay. we lived in Rose Park, and it I vaguely remember the house as being a red brick house, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we had a big dog. Hallelujah for your mother for yeah. having the, the courage because that's hard. Yeah, to to leave a situation like that and and to gather up your your children and move. Yeah, we had nowhere to live in California either. It was it was crazy. I just remember moving from house to house. You know, if we had friends there, my mom did, and and we just moved from house to house until finally we got a we got a place of our own for a little bit. And so, so you went to California. Uh, well, your name's Salazar. So yep. tell me how deep um, do we go into the roots of our family before we're here in Salt Lake or Utah? How many generations are we're here in the United States? So the Salazar family, uh, my my grandfather actually came here from Spain and Portugal. Uh, 
his his dad was from Portugal, mom was from Spain. But you'll you can read a lot about the Salazar family from Portugal because we were kicked out. Oh, really? <laughs> and so and so that's uh, every so often people say you're Salazar, your family from Portugal. Yeah, really? and you're like uh, yes, we are. We're from Portugal, but um, we. And so my my grandfather, my dad's father, was he was the one that kind of came to America, and then and then my mom's side, which is an Archuleta side, they're actually from Mexico. Okay. Um, but my grandparents on my mom's side, they were born in the United States, and my great grandparents were the ones that came came into the United States, and so it was it's something. You know, it's just a family that's that's grown here in America. Right, but you don't speak Spanish. I speak zero Spanish. <laughs> Every so often, I can uh, words come to me because my mom spoke to us in Spanglish. Right. You know, whenever she wanted mm-hmm. us to grab something, she said it in yeah. Spanish, and then. But she never really. They never really focused on us learning Spanish, mm-hmm. and so it's. It's something that the lost yeah now yeah. now I can remember things like I teach my my two year old to say gracias por you know huevos for, <laughs> for <laughs> thank you for the yeah <laughs> and so it's it's something that I learn I have, people say I have a great accent but <laughs> when somebody's talking to me if I go into a Mexican restaurant of course they're going to talk to me because they think I speak Spanish <laughs> and Spanish. I just give them this wide eyed look like I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and so I start speaking to them in English. Well, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I was just kind of curious on uh, your family background. Have, have you been, uh, I don't know, have you been more of a Hispanic community being raised, or were you just met, blended with everybody else? Just My culture has been a Hispanic community. Uh-huh. Um, that's that's what, who I grew up with was most mostly my Hispanic family. Okay. Um, it, the there's a big conflict, though, between Spain and Mexico. Yeah, oh, big conflict. It's a different world. Right. And, and I learned that probably when I was in my 20s is how different the two cultures are. And it's, it's, it's interesting how you get treated, you know, when, when people, yeah, between the two. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. I want to get back to your story. Okay. I, I've heard you share a story about a time when you were nine years old and and there was a big knock on the door. Yeah, I'll share that. That's a, that's a big event in my life. Um, actually I was eight and eight, nine, I was just on the, on the border of those two ages. And we lived in California at the time. My, my stepfather, my mom, and my brother, they actually sold a drug called PCP out of our home. Uh, they did it for about two years. We it was something that went on for about two years. Or we lived in a nice home. That's all I knew. We had a swimming pool in the backyard, and I was excited about that. One morning, I was I was getting ready for school, and and in the in the Hispanic culture, your family lives with you. A lot of your family. Right. So I had my aunts and uncles living, an aunt and uncle and their children living with us, and my my cousins were getting ready for school, and I was all, already ready. And a knock came to the door, and it was a pretty big knock. And so I was always taught not to open the door, to ask who it is first. And so I asked, who is it? And the voice on the other side said, San Jose Police Department, open up. And I froze because I didn't know what to do. I was always taught that police were the enemy and things like that. You don't open the door to cops. <laughs> and so, and, well, there's obviously a reason why for that. But um, with... With that, I just froze, and then the voice on the other side said, if you don't open up on the count of three, we are going to kick the door down. And I just stood there. I didn't know what to do, and then I heard one, two, 
three, boom! And that door came flying open. I finally woke up out of whatever I was in and ran and hit under hit under our dining room t- table. And the next thing you know, I have a police officer pulling me out from underneath the table and telling me to come sit down on the couch. And and I'm watching as I'm sitting there. I watch my cousins come in and they're screaming and crying and and they don't know what to do. Then they brought my aunt and uncle out in handcuffs and then. My slowly, my mom and my stepdad were brought in handcuffs into the into the living living room area, and then my brother came out and give you just a little bit of background on my brother. At sixteen, my my older brother was still in a, a vehicle, and him and his friends were joyriding. And the friend that was driving the vehicle it was actually a truck. They hit a tree, and my brother fell out and broke his back, so he he was paralyzed. Fast forward to this this time of the of the raid. He's now eighteen, and he's in a wheelchair. And so they wheel him out with with handcuffs on and his girlfriend. Um, and we're sitting there, and I'm just watching police officers after police officers just destroying our house. I mean, going through our fridge, our our cabinets, just ripping everything out and and ripping up the cushions on the couches and uh, we really didn't know the to what extent they had just they had destroyed the house until after they had left, but they had found what they were looking for. And you were 9 years 8 years old. Yep. Did you understand even what they were looking for? Did I you did. understand that you were drug dealers? I did. I did at the I did when that happened. Um, right. But a couple a couple of things had happened previous to the raid. Uh my this limo came up to our house and my brother went out to sell the the people inside the limo drugs and they pulled a shotgun on him and kicked him out of the and took the drugs and and took off and they kicked my brother out of the car but that's when i knew we were drug dealers mm-hmm. <laughs> um and we were pretty cuz when they came in they found a quarter million dollars worth of drugs the police did and also another quarter million dollars worth in cash and so it was a pretty big that explains the swimming pool in the exactly. backyard exactly explains the swimming pool in the backyard it also explains why my little sister got to ride a pony on her birthday <laughs> um, but but they they came in and they finally found what they were looking for and they they were deciding whether or not to take me and my cousins to a foster a foster home or you know into government custody and finally they said that they didn't have anything on my aunt and uncle so they allowed us to stay they took my my mom my stepdad and my brother to to jail and i i actually my dad lived here in utah still and so he came and got me and and so that that event started a whole other whole new um, series of events because but this is the same guy that beat your mother for your very first. Yes. Uh, what's interesting is that my dad met a woman and she was, she was my stepmom and she kind of calmed him down oh. a lot. And, you know, I don't know what it was with him and my mom, but she, my mom just seemed to bring out the worst in my dad. My, my, uh, stepmother, Darcy, she, she brought out the best in him. And he he became somebody totally different, and until until they split up when I was eighteen. But it was, that's a whole nother story that I'll go into. Wow, amazing! But, yeah, so it's it was a crazy crazy well, day for us. That that home you were living in that they just came in and raided. Uh, you had all the money you needed. You had all the worldly 
possessions mm-hmm. and things. What was the love and stuff like that in that home? Was there? Were, were, did your mother treat you greatly that way? Or was the focus so much on drugs and their clientele? Yep, exactly. The focus was on drugs and their clientele. Uh, we got throughout that whole experience and throughout my whole life and my experience with my mom and my stepdad, it's always been about them and about what they're doing to make money. My, to, I mean, present day, my mom, my stepdad belong to a biker gang and they're out of prison now. Yeah. And so it's, it's something that, that I deal with all the time. My mom doesn't know who my children are. She doesn't, she doesn't step up to be a grandmother or anything like that. It's because of that. And so we, in that home, it was it was always how can we look like we're we're rich or we're you know we're better than than what we what we are. And <clears throat> us children were treated differently. My my stepdad was actually hooked on the drugs that we were selling, and he did some pretty bad things. I mean, at the age of seven eight, he introduced me to pornography and made me watch it. I didn't want to watch it. He made me watch it. And, and that was something that I didn't want to, want to experience. And he also, he would be so hooked on drugs. He would be sit, he would sit on the couch and chew aspirin. And it was just watching this, this person become this, this evil person. And he also beat my mom. Uh, One day I came home from school in that same house and was walked in and he was just beating my mom on the couch and, and, a few days previous to that, I had told myself, if I ever see him beating my mom again, I am going to kill him. Mm. And I actually picked out a knife in the kitchen that I was going to use. And I went into the kitchen when I came home from school that day, and I grabbed that knife, and I told him, stop hitting my mom. And he saw that I had a knife, and then he came running after me, and I got scared, and I dropped the knife and ran outside and hid. But that was just something that entered my mind is watching somebody beat my mom and you know we went through a lot of things in there in that in that time as my mom was always fighting with my stepdad they were always in an argument and she she would threaten to commit suicide and Mm -hmm. and things like that so this is just not a normal situation no so having grown up in that environment and Mm -hmm. having those examples how did you and not follow that path and, and get to where you are today? Great question. Um, it, it started, actually, it all started when I was a freshman in high school. Uh, for the longest time, I wanted to play football. I wanted to, to, to be well, an you're, athlete. You're huge. Of course you want to be a I am, I'm huge. I am so big. I'm actually five foot two. <laughs> and so, um, but I wanted to play football. I, I, I'm a huge Chicago Bears fan, and the reason for that is because of Walter Payton. Yeah. I absolutely loved watching him as a running back. He was amazing. Yes, he was just great, and he was a even better person. That's that was one thing I found out later, and yeah, as I grew up. But my freshman year, I my mom allowed me to play football, and I actually had to pay for it myself. Because she wasn't going to pay for it, and that's the kind of the way it was always. You had to pay for your own stuff. So I learned how to mow lawns and ask people to if I can mow their lawns. And we signed up for football, and I went into football excited and pumped up, wanting to be a running back. And the coach said, nope, you're going to be a free safety. (laughs) And I said, no, I'm going to be a running back. And he says, no, you're going to be a free safety. Argued with the coach. He disciplined me for arguing with him. And that was the first time I learned that you don't argue with the coach. (laughs) But uh, I became a free safety, and it was something that I loved. I loved it. 
But the one thing that I loved about it, and this is where the change started to develop in me, is my coaches took interest in me. They took interest in not what I looked like, but the potential that I had. And I saw that. I saw the potential that he was really, really involved in. And he always kept telling me, you can be better than what you are. You know, we called him Big Papa. Uh, he was about your size. Okay. So not, not real big. <laughs> no, but but he, he loved to be called Papa Bear. Right. And so we called him Papa Bear. And, and but, but, he, but he took your size and, and abilities mm-hmm. and created the very best place for you in the, in the system. Exactly. And, and, he, and I also learned from the kids that were on my team. A lot of these kids didn't, weren't involved in gangs, weren't involved in a family situation like I was. They came from good homes. They came from, you know, their parents were always there at their at their football games supporting them and watching them and you know there was different types of of races I was I was with when I went to high school as a freshman everybody was separated you had your blacks you had your mexicans you had your your filipinos you had your chinese people you had your white people you had everything and they had their own little groups but in in the sports arena, you were together. Everybody was with one another, and I learned from from all these guys. And they saw they saw something in me, also, you know. And it was a family that I was a part of. And so during that freshman year, I was actually I was actually going back and forth. My older brother, after after the raid, he went to prison for two years. He was supposed to go to the youth authority uh, program. But that youth authority program could not facilitate his him being a paraplegic, so they sent him to prison. And my my stepdad, this is interesting. My stepdad is actually the same age as my older brother, oh. and so really? yeah, and wow. so he went to a youth authority program. My brother went to prison. My mom went to jail for six months, and while my brother was in prison, he joined a prison game. I won't say the name of the prison game because it's it's still kind of kind of risky, but, um, he joined a prison gang, which is a form of the mafia in, in prison. He came out and, and my freshman year, this is when he was really entrenched into, into the prison gang. He actually became one of the leaders on the streets and he had already committed his first murder, things like that. And I was actually looking up to my brother because of the respect Mm -hmm. he was getting from, from the people within the gang. And but I was also playing football, and I was respecting everybody there and respecting here. So I had, I I just had this crazy lifestyle that I didn't know which way to go. I was so confused. And one of the big changes in my life, uh, about a year after I was getting uh, ready to finish my freshman year, and my brother got indicted. Uh, the whole the whole gang got indicted, and my brother was one of them, and he was going up for murder, racketeering. You know, everything you hear about a mafia organization, he was going up for, and he was actually going up for the death penalty. And I went to go visit him while he was in jail, and he was, he was dressed in red. He was shackled down. Even though he's in a wheelchair, he's not going to go anywhere. But they had him shackled down at the waist. His ankles were shackled down. And I sat in front of him. And with me battling these two worlds, he looked at me and said, Donnie, don't become me. And that was the road I was headed down. I look like... If you if you look at a Mexican essay, they call them essays, vatos, or you know, little cholos, or things like that. 
that's what I was like. I didn't ever join a gang, but that's what I dressed like. That's what I looked like. That's what people perceived me as. And my brother told me not to become him. And that hit me hard. And he said, go to Utah, live with dad, become something better than what I am. And I I moved back to Utah and, and the change, the change just kept developing. You know, I had to change me before I could become, you know, because everything that I was taught was the gang world, was the drugs, the, you know, at 14, I was taught how to weigh drugs, how to sell drugs and things like that. And those are things that I had, I had to overcome is, you know, you don't take advantage of people to get ahead in life. And that's where I was taught by my mom, my stepdad, and my brother is that you take advantage of people to get ahead of life. And so... You've taken all these stories and your life experiences, and and now you're you're speaking, you're sharing them, and you've adapted an, an acronym, mm-hmm. PBA. Yep. So tell us about that. So perceive, believe, achieve—that's my acronym that I follow. And, and you know, I look back at my life and how that's actually played a major role. And one one of the stories on perceive. So obviously playing football in California is different than playing football in Utah. (laughs) And I was expecting when I came to Utah, my sophomore year, I was expecting that I had to try out for the high school team. So one day I get dressed and I get ready and I'm all dressed in red because we, my brother was a North Daniel and that's what we, that's the colors we wore. And, and I walked down, I went to Hillcrest high school and so green, exactly. But I, I walked down to the high school on a summer day and, and I knew football had started and I walk up to the coach and I said, my name's Donnie Salazar. I want to play football win our tryouts and he looked at me like what tryouts and I said yeah win our tryouts he's all you don't have to try out you can just be on the team and I remember looking around at the football players and a lot of these kids come from rich families and they are just looking at me like I am a piece of dirt (laughs) and and actually one of the kids that was the worst is actually one of my best friends today mm-hmm. and he I just remember looking at him and he, he started talking to another another player and like what is this kid doing what is he doesn't belong in our group he doesn't belong with us mm-hmm. and and all I had to do was swallow and take a deep breath and say I can prove myself so the coach the coach said okay show me what you can do we're gonna run the 40. Well, I ran the 40. I think I ran a 4.8 at the time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. <laughs> you can run. You can run. And he said, what position do you play? Well, I play free safety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he says, no, we're going to make you a running back. <laughs> yeah. So my sophomore year, I was made a running back for Hillcrest. And I started as a, as a sophomore um, on the sophomore team. And, and my play was the sweep. <laughs> he, they, he to get yeah, the so I got around the outside, scored a lot of yardage and a lot of touchdowns, but it was, you know, it was just the difference in, in who I was, how I dressed from the beginning of the football season to how I dressed and what I looked like at the end of the football season was totally different because now I was around with different individuals. I made a decision because of that conversation with my brother, not to hang around with my race. I, because when I went to school, they were all gangsters. They were, they all dressed the same way I did in California. And I was there to change. 
but I didn't know to what extent I was going to change. I just knew that I wanted to be different. And football made me different. And then I got involved with the baseball team. I got involved with the wrestling team and the and the track, you know, the track team. And so I just surrounded myself with athletes. And these are and a lot of these kids were good kids. Obviously, you have friends that are not so good. But when I was with those friends, you know, I participated with those friends. But I also saw that I was still trying to change, still trying to make those changes. And the big change came one day when I was invited to to a class that um, by a couple of friends they asked me to skip a class to go to another class, <laughs> which is which is part of the LDS Church and its seminary. And so they asked me to to release time yeah, religion class. Yep, yeah, a release yes. time religion class that you get in high school in Utah. And and they asked me to come. And I remember sitting there, and the brother that was teaching, the teacher that was teaching the class, he saw me, and he changed his whole lesson plan just to teach me. Wow. And I remember the feelings that I felt there. And and I went home that day, and now to give you an idea of what my home was like as a, as a high school kid, my dad was an alcoholic a big time alcoholic and my stepmom participated in the in that also they would go through a gallon of rum every two days and my dad was when when he was drinking he was violent and not everybody could hold him down and because i was 16 most of that violence went towards me and so it was a lot of attitude a lot of anger and i was always scared to go home but didn't know what what person i was going to get when i walked in the door and so when I walked home, that feeling that I had from that class left. And I didn't feel it until like two months later when I was downstairs and I was watching TV and a Mormon commercial comes on. And I, that same feeling comes rushing back. You know, those Mormon commercials can make you feel guilty or make you feel happy. <laughs> and I went upstairs. And I told my dad, and this was actually my junior year in high school, and I'm 17 at the time, and I told my dad, I want to become a Mormon. We're Catholic, and Catholic is what we were, and nobody was going to leave the Catholic Church. (laughs) And we had a good 45-minute conversation. And he says, well, you're 17. You can make your own decision. And I decided to become a Mormon. And that that was one one of the events that changed my life even more because then I really got to know my Savior, Jesus Christ. I really got to know what he was about. Even though after after I was baptized in the Mormon church, I did fall away for a time, for about a year. And it was because my, my dad and my stepmom had split up. And during that time, my dad not was not just drinking. He also became a drug addict. He got hooked on meth. And then he started selling meth. And I felt like I had to help my dad. And this was three months before I was getting ready to graduate high school when this all happened. And and I just felt like that was my role is to help my dad. And so I moved out of I moved out of the home and and went to go help my dad and he didn't even have a stable place for us to live. We lived in a car. And we lived homeless for a few months. We were kicked out of places. Uh, we tried to live with family. Family would kick us out and and so I dropped out of high school. And I actually decided I'm just going to work. And during that time, I actually became worse than what than what I was before I joined the church. And one day, my 19th uh, birthday, I woke up and I said, I'm done. I'm tired of being this person. 
And that's when I made my major change. That's when I decided that I was going to go on an LDS mission. It took me a year to get there, but I got there. And you made that choice yourself that came yep. from within. Yeah, exactly. But I saw, I saw what I was feeling. I saw how I was feeling. I remember talking to my bishop and I told him, I said, I'm so angry. I'm so angry with my life right now. I'm so angry. Everybody that I talk to, I just want to start a fight with them. And I want to be, you know, I don't want to be this way anymore. I don't want to feel frustrated and angry and lost when I wake up in the morning. And he said, I want you to pray and ask Heavenly Father for forgiveness and ask him for help. And I also want you to read your scriptures and I want you to get a blessing. And I did those three things. I felt better, but my road wasn't over. I still had to overcome temptations and, you know, things like that. And that was one of the things that, that was a hard year for me. Um, And, but my older brother was still in prison. He was still going through his trials. My mom was still trying to figure out her life and she's still trying to figure out her life. She's 70 years old. (laughs) And so, but at this time, so just a lot of major things happening in my life during that, during that year. But when I made my change, I realized something. I can overcome my trials and I can do it with, with grace. I can overcome anything as long as I apply what I've been given. And so I get a mission call and I'm going to New Jersey Cherry Hill Mission. And during that time, I'm, I'm prepared. I'm excited. I'm like, you know, and just a month before, before I get ready to leave for my mission, I get a phone call that I need to come home. And I, I head home. I head to actually my cousin's girlfriend's house and they tell me to wait there. Somebody's going to come talk to me. I mean, I knew something was wrong. And so I asked, what's going on that you guys need to talk to me so bad about? And my, my friend said, something's happened in your family. And the first thing I said, is my brother dead? And they said, no, your brother's fine. And I said, is my mom dead? Because she was involved in the, mm-hmm. in the gang also. And so there was a lot going on. My brother had turned state evidence against the gang. And so now we have a hit on our family. And, and they said, no. And then I said, it's my dad. My dad's dead, isn't he? And they said, yes. So my dad actually was coming back from Santa Quinn and from doing a drug deal. And he was also on drugs at the same time when the lady was driving and she was on drugs and she actually fell asleep on I-15. And this was before we had the cement barriers right down the middle. And they crossed the median and they went head on with the semi and they both died instantly. I remember something about that day is that I had the strength to overcome that situation. I remember how much power I was given, even though it was devastating for me. I knew about death. I knew what was possible after death, and that comforted me. Two days before that, before my dad died, I actually went through the LDS temple because I was getting ready for my mission. So it was my first time going through. But that gave me strength. That gave me strength for what I experienced that day. And that whole week, I had to take on the role as the main person in my family. My older brother was in prison. He couldn't take on that role. Now it fell on me. I had to prepare a, a whole funeral. I had to prepare all these things. And, and during that week, I was temptation after temptation after temptation, arguments after arguments after arguments. My mom was crazy that, that day. She tried to start a fight with my stepmom and, and things like that. She told me I shouldn't go on a mission. I should stay home and take care of the family because that was my role. That's who I was. So I was a lot of opposition yeah. was being thrown oh, away. Yeah. And- All the time. But I knew what I had to do. Mm-hmm. 
And if I didn't go on that mission, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to change other people's lives, but I also changed my life. One thing that people don't really understand about me is that I learned a great deal on my mission, not just spiritually, but mentally and physically. I didn't know how, I did not know how to read when I left on my mission. And as a missionary, you need to know how to read. Yeah. <laughs> so you were just kind of passed by grade after grade. Grade after grade, because I was an athlete in high school. Yeah. yeah, I was an athlete in high school, and I needed to pass in order to play. And because I excelled at my at my sports, they just passed me. But no one really knew where I was academically. They didn't know where my edu- what my education level was. And so I just got passed by. So I learned how to read on my mission. But to go back to that perceive, believe, achieve, uh-huh. your perception of life was so different than anybody else's. Exactly. And, and but the the models still remain the same. Yep. Everything you perceived, you believed, and you were going to achieve it. Whether that was going to prison, whether that was dealing yep. drugs, whether that was being an alcoholic, exactly, or whether it was rising up and conquering it. How did you get to the point where you could your perception changed? So my perception changed when I was in high school, when I went to when I came to Utah. That's when my perception changed because people were different and I knew they were different. And so my perception about them changed when I started playing football. And when I, when I decided I wanted to change, people saw me differently. They saw my abilities and not, not my background, not who my family was or what my family did. So I, I saw that and I, and I, Kind you, of you were a guy with wheels it. instead of a cholo. Exactly. Yeah. I was instead of a cholo. Exactly. Yeah. And I slowly came out of being a cholo. Right. And then my beliefs changed. My belief in myself, my belief in the way people looked at me changed. So my family never came to my really came to my football games or any of my sporting events. All my my cheering crowd was other parents, mm-hmm. and they saw how I played. They they took me in. They helped me. So this so. When they would say, you're doing so good, you're so awesome, you're great, that's when I started believing in myself. That's when I started believing I could be something better. And then I started achieving more. I, you know, I became a starting running back as a, as a junior for the varsity team. And, of course, I'm not that big. Yeah. <laughs> I've been knocked down, you know, lifted up in the air after a hit, and <laughs> it's, been, it's been crazy. But I knew I could do it because people were telling me I could do it. And it didn't scare me anymore. But one of the things that I really noticed about my perceive, believe, achieve is that I wasn't looking over my shoulder anymore because I had different friends. I had different people in my life because they perceived me as something good and they helped me believe that I was something good. And so I achieved something good. That was really when it started. One of my really best friends, uh, he actually grew up in California and went through the same thing that I went through, but he's older than me. He's probably 10 years older than me. And he actually went to one of the football games, never, didn't even know who I was. And I was playing that night and he brought his two boys and, his, and he told his sister, he says, I want to meet that kid. Still this little cholo looking kid, you know, and his sister, his sister reaches out to me and we dated in high school, our junior year. But I remember going to his house 
And he sat me down at the kitchen table and fed me cookies and milk (laughs) and just started asking me a bunch of questions and things like that. And we actually had lunch yesterday and we were were sharing stories. And he's like, you were just a punk kid. (laughs) I can't believe that you had such a good experience at Hillcrest High School because I was a Brighton girl. I know. Rival schools. I know. That's our rival. And we didn't think anything good came out of that. (laughs) Well, now you're meeting something good, I hope. Hopefully, um, yeah. And what's so funny is my stepmom went to Brighton. Went to Brighton, yeah. And uh, so, it was, so when I went to Hillcrest, she was like, uh-oh. "I'm never going." <laughs> so, yeah, but it, it was a great, great time in my life. Like I said, I I love the experiences that I had, what I grew up with. I'm grateful that I went through them. Um, I should be in prison. I should be dead. You know, those are things I should be. The, the sad thing is, is that. My change has not influenced my family as much. My older brother is now out of prison. He spent, he got 25 years to life because he testified. And he's been out for about five years now. And he had to figure out his life again because when he went in, he was a gangster. Mm-hmm. When he came out, he didn't know what to do with his life. So he gravitated back to that life. And so he's had that's to all, change. That's all he could perceive. Yep. And he recently came back out here to Utah and he saw the life that I, I'm living now. And he said something the other day. He said, he said, Donnie, you have inspired me to do better. And he's, he's got a good job and he's got himself a good girl and he's, he's 50 years old and, but he's still trying to figure it out. I mean, 25 years of his life was taken away because of dumb decisions that he made. And those decisions were, were partly by the influences that were in front of him. I had the same influences. We just had different outcomes. And he doesn't know the magnitude of the conversation that we had when I went to go visit him and how that that changed me also. The power of influence. So I I just want to share some some other things that we're not going to have time to talk about, Mm -hmm. but some amazing things that I want our audience to know about you, Donnie. So some some other of your life achievements are that he has successfully convinced the woman of his dreams to be his wife. He is the father of 10 children. He is a nine-time marathon finisher. He has a successful sales and marketing business. He has accomplished all of this and more while only standing five foot, two inches tall. Yep. Now, you, you don't have a website. Not yet. Yet. You're working on that. Yeah. But you do have a, a fan page or a business page on Facebook, and it is called... The Courage to Stand Tall. So if you're going to Facebook, you just type in at Courage to Stand Tall, and it should come up. Uh, but if, you can also look me up as Donnie Salazar, and they both come, both pages come up. But that's something that I've adopted is the courage to stand tall because in order for me to come out of that, what I've been through, I had to have courage. I had to be able to have courage to leave my family family behind. I'm also writing a book called Courage Stand Tall, and it's going to have more detailed information than what we've gone through here of what what my family life was about, but it'll be a two-part book. Things that you can do at 62 inches. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. I, love, I love that. So thank you again. Thank you for having me. This is a great opportunity and appreciate all you guys do. Thank, well, you. thank we're, you. We're all doing what we can do to, to be a piece of the puzzle and to make this world a better place. Absolutely. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Yep, see you later. 
Thanks for listening to Life in 22 Minutes. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about us and please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Your review will help us to broaden our audience. Until next time, don't wait for things to be perfect. Get out there and live life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love.